This is Sage Talking. If your brain is ready to soak up some natural, informative, and no BS knowledge, then you're in the right place. Join me in talks about nature, people, health, sustainable businesses, and everything in between. You won't miss out on the occasional politics and interviews with ecopreneurs either. P.S. I want to know what you want to know. So send in questions or topic requests on my IG at thrive underscore by nature. Hey, and thank you for being here. My name's Liam Alderdice. I've recently moved from London. I was working in London as a landscape gardener, um, but I've moved to Cornwall to start my own regenerative permaculture farm and help out the family build their little business on the like along the way. Um, so my parents don't have to go and work uh, nine to five anymore because they've done enough of that. How did your journey in regenerative growing start? Like, how did it evolve into what it is now? Can you walk us through that story? So, I actually, so I went, I was traveling in Asia, um, and I had no idea what permaculture was. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I was partying, I was going to like, I, I said I was going to, I took all my camera gear and everything the first time I went. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to make a vlog. I'm going to do this, going to do that. I didn't do it. I ended up partying all the time. Um, and then at the end of the trip, I met some people in Cambodia that that one of, well, two of them worked and run a permaculture farm. And I was talking to them at a bar, but it was like a few days before I was meant to go home. So I couldn't go and like see like, see their place, um, but I stayed in contact with them. Um, and like a couple of years later, I saved up some money and went to go and do my permaculture design course on this farm. Uh, but that didn't go very well. <laughs> so the person that was running the farm didn't actually turn up. Like he was, he was doing lots of other stuff and wasn't, to be honest, wasn't the greatest people. But um, I was on the farm with the volunteers and between us, we were doing what we needed to do. But the agreement is like woofing, like when you work for, when you work for your um, board and your food. Um, but because he wasn't there to pay for anything, we ended up paying for everything. So we were working for free and paying for all of our food as well. So by the time he got back, we were like, well, we gave him like three chances and he messed us around like every time. So we all just got up and left and went to a different farm. <laughs> oh, that sounds like such a shitty first experience. <laughs> yeah, like I can't even imagine if you sign up for something like that and you're working all day and nobody's even showing you what to do, then how, how did you kind of all figure out without anybody there i mean obviously then you um working in landscaping that you had kind of some knowledge but i mean permaculture is probably completely different than from what you originally learned there um so how did you you know work that farm together for the time you were there so i had done like from from meeting these guys and like learning what permaculture was by when I was working back at home in in UK, I was like geeking out on YouTube and watching 
as many videos as I could. So I kind of had an understanding, but I'd paid for, I paid for like a permaculture design course and I was so excited to go and I got there and it was like the biggest letdown. And I was like, Oh, this is great. Um, but the people there, like the people on the farm, they, it was like a woofing experience. Like they, they go from farm to farm. So they know what to they They've been told what to do. The people, the people volunteering there were actually with, I'm not going to name any names, but, <laughs> but were with the guy um, before I got there. So they'd actually been like introduced and shown what to do. And then when I got there, he was, he was never to be seen. Um, <laughs> but... That's so weird for a person to just do that. Like come and work on my farm, but I won't be there. That's, I wonder what he was doing in the meanwhile. Well, he said he was. He said he was meeting with governments and stuff to talk about because he was getting some grants and stuff like that. But mm. <laughs> I don't really know because he said they they had no money for the farm. But as soon as we got to town, we had money to party. Like he would go to the bars and stuff. And I was like, "Well, you say you can't afford to feed us, but you can go and get drunk in town." Do you know what I mean? So yeah, pretty weird. Like, yeah, it's it wasn't the best. So we kind of came together and was like, but the some of the girls that I worked with went back. They went back to the farm and worked there again. So I don't I don't know to be honest. Maybe like, they just didn't mind. <laughs> they yeah, were okay I with mind. it. I I I wasn't because I I think they didn't pay for a course. I paid for a course and I went there. To learn and I had no one there to teach me anything so yeah but I guess I did learn I did learn there learned a couple of things <laughs> I guess is learning not to trust people um <laughs> like straight away yeah but, um but also like well just just getting on doing it really and like I had to build a I built like a plant nursery because it's so hot over there you have to use shade cloth um to like to grow your seedlings because the sun's just too strong and um well because of like me landscaping for the last like six years I was building this uh this like structure out of wood the wood was all bent and I got I I picked up the tools that I needed I got spirit level and everything and I was like why am I using a spirit level when all the wood's bent like (laughs) And I was trying to make it perfect, but I couldn't make it perfect because the wood wasn't straight. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, I guess this is one of the great things like then about permaculture probably coming from landscaping. Um, it's just that it's so, you know, different in the ways that it can be so creative and nothing kind of has to be perfect in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you kind of, it's not like, well, in the long run, it's kind of like, the lazy way of gardening you you like do things for the future but it's obviously the best way you let you let nature do the hard work for you like that's why I've got I've got three lambs because in the future they're going to be they're going to be in the fields cutting the grass like just another job that I don't have to do and so you you then from that farm you went to another one what was your experience there so I (laughs) I went to another farm that was fully booked. They had no space for me, unfortunately. Um, but I did get to a hostel in Thailand 
um, and they gave me a place to stay free um, and I basically gardened for them and I was growing them like started off growing their food and stuff um, but unfortunately I was there for I got everything started and didn't get to see everything fruit because I wasn't there long enough. So pretty much all you did, you intended on getting, you know, education from someone else. And all you did was kind of make your own way and DIY your way through the world of growing food and permaculture. Yeah, that's, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then I'd done, um, I went during lockdown, I was just sat here doing nothing. I had the money to do another permaculture course, which I wanted to go to like Spain for, because you can go like, you can go to Spain and camp for like 12 days and like food included, you get like hands on and you do your permaculture design course. And that was like, I think it was like 350 euros or 400 euros. Um, and then the permaculture design course that I did because we couldn't travel anywhere was online. And that cost me at least 400, 400 pounds. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm not, I'm not very good at reading. Like, I'm a proper hands-on kind of person. Like I need to, I need to, to do things to learn about them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially with something like permaculture, it's just best if you, you know, you just go out and do it because I think this is really something that's more, learning by doing i mean of course as you said you can read about it and watch stuff online and get kind of an understanding but i think it's just best if you have somebody who kind of shows you the ropes um for a few weeks and then you kind of go off and experiment yourself yeah definitely like it's always good to have i think also in different climates like if i was to go like, i could it's like moving to cornwall like i've grown stuff before but where I am now we are like a thousand and I can't remember how many feet a thousand and something feet above sea level like we're on the highest the highest part of this kind of like county I think it is like we can see everywhere and it's windy and because we're at the top of the hill it's like the mist comes in kind of like the clouds on a mountain so <laughs> so it can be like it can be misty so it's humid It's windy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I need to prepare myself for this this growing season because yeah, I've never had to never had to deal with these kind of like weather weather's these kind of like climates and stuff before. Yeah. So. so, but then why is why is permaculture and like growing food regeneratively? Why is it so important to you? I mean, obviously now you've made that your life. Um, Why is it so important to you? I don't know. For me, since learning learning about like permaculture and learning where your food comes from, and it's it's hard to unlearn it. <laughs> like like the more you you learn, the more you realize how bad our planet is and how how messed up our food system is. Like we can't we don't get to choose what we eat. Like the our government chooses what we eat and they put it in the supermarkets and that's what you buy like there's no control over it you are literally force-fed whatever they want i heard so i can't remember who said it but someone said he, he said that about going into like a, a food shop um 
uh, like a hundred years ago and going into a food shop now, there's like nothing on the shelf that would have been on the shelf a hundred years ago. Yeah. Like it's all, everything's kind of like branded and has different, obviously like we have some sort of vegetables and stuff, but they're all, they've all been tinkered with like, and there's nothing unless you're getting like um, heritage, like heirloom varieties and stuff like that. But yeah, I think like um, I, I often talk to my grandmother about this, like how it was so different when she used to go, you know, to buy food, which was a radically different experience than what we do nowadays. And like kind of, you know, this thing about having everything that is seasonal, like there was only in the grocery store, you could only buy that what was in season in Germany at that moment. And, you know, I think it's a lot about people you know people are so used to this variety of foods and having mangoes and pineapples and kiwi and whatever on the shelves <laughs> in germany is it's like you know you obviously know this has to come from somewhere i mean some people uh and some companies have like incredible greenhouse farms where they just you know grow anything which is like I, you don't even know how that could exist in a climate like this, but you know, with with technology and manipulating so many things, obviously people, uh, you know, can grow almost anything. But then it's like so incredible to see even something like apples. I mean, in Germany, everybody knows you can get apples from your backyard um, for for many many months, and then you have apples from Germany on the shelf and next to it apples from New Zealand and you're like why why are we getting apples from New Zealand and then like you know there's so much as you said you can never unlearn that and then later I found out because I was looking at like all these different foods what's better to buy what has a lower carbon footprint which has less chemicals pesticides like whatever it is and then I found out that even like the carbon footprint sometimes can be higher from apples that have been um, you know, stored, uh, yeah, grown in Germany and been stored yeah, here. Yeah, the gas used to heat the greenhouses. Yeah, and, and like, like yeah, and like even just the cooling process from storing it for many months, like apples that have been grown here and then have a higher have a higher footprint than the ones that have been shipped from New Zealand, is so insane. And that's why I totally get where some people are just so exhausted and they don't even want to get anything right. They don't want to learn about what is the better option because at the end of the day, you're all, you know, you're completely cheated out of ever having a good option. It's just like a, yeah, they just manipulate your mind. (laughs) They want you to believe that it's grown here and it's all fine, but it's actually worse. There's, um, There's a farm near me, Riverford Farm, and they have, a farm in the south of France, I think, um, and they were they were talking about their tomatoes. So when they can't grow tomatoes in the UK, it's more ecologically like sound um, and like less carbon footprint to grow their grow their tomatoes in south of France and ship them over in like one big shipment to the UK. Because heating the the greenhouses in the UK would actually would would, would affect the um the carbon footprint more than just yeah. that one shipment across. Yeah, that's really crazy. And I think also, you know, people feel like they have this right to 
you know, because we're so used to it, to fruits and vegetables from all over the world at any time. And, you know, full shelves of all these different types of foods um, that other people would never have you know, access to. And it's like, okay, let's maybe move to more local foods and seasonal foods. But then people on the other hand, you know, some say, oh, yeah, this is great, you know, supporting also local farmers and whatever and using using our climate and, you know, this land that we have here um, for our advantage and seeing what we can grow here and kind of adapting to the climate and seeing what our land needs instead of always outsourcing and exporting and importing. But then on the other hand, people are also like, yeah, well, if I if I can't have, you know, um, my strawberries all year round, then I also don't want that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd love to just be able to eat like a seasonal diet. I think, well, if everyone, if everyone was like in the shops, everything was seasonal. I know there's a few restaurants that, like, um, the restaurant I used to work at in Reading, uh, they they have a seasonal menu, so like fruit throughout the season well i know quite a few restaurants do it but like they obviously cook with the the chefs cook with like the growers in mind um and i thought i kind of want to like establish like a good connection with with the chef to be able to say this is what's going to be available in these months like you can basically try and make your menu around that like, that would be cool yeah, that that's incredible. Like, if you can, you know, get in touch with restaurants and maybe people with, you know, in our grocery stores also in this town. I mean, it's a grocery store that is a chain, but they they always have like a local produce section, um, especially like things like potatoes, onions that are from local uh, farmers and people and, and like eggs and things like that. And people make a lot of use of that um, as well. So I think people are really interested in that. And I think one difference is, I I, I mean, I, I waitress in, in like a really typical <laughs> Bavarian restaurant because there's not much around here. Um, so, and, and they do also like for breakfast and stuff and for, um, for they, their desserts, they sometimes make these fruit plates and, all the exotic tropical foods always get eaten first. And even if they're like the most delicious, like backyard apples, pears, which are like 10 times, you know, healthier for you, more nutrition, they have more vitamins, they taste like, like, I don't know, it's like an explosion of taste in your mouth in comparison to some of those other things that taste really dull because they've been picked, you know, before they're ripe and things like that. And the tropical fruits always get eaten first because probably for some people it's like, this is more special, it's more luxurious. And I think kind of we have our, you know, values and priorities a little bit skewed um, and mixed up in a way that we always want you know the thing that you know kind of society tells us these tropical imported foods it's like this is great you know this shows how wealthy we are this shows how we have access to everything from all over the world and I think that really really has to change on a much broader scale yeah definitely and I think well the people need to understand that the fact that when food is harvested before it's ripe it loses like, well, I don't know exact amounts, but a lot of it's nutritional value. Like, if it's, it's picked before it's ripe and then it ripens on the way to the shelf or on the shelf, 
Yeah. Um, it's missing all of them, like, key nutrients and sugars and stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, um, but because uh, regarding, you know, like, the taste of, um, of fruit and vegetable that is, like, local and picked when it's really ripe um i always think about this and obviously because you're in the uk i don't know if you know this movie um it's called uh, madame Malory. it's with uh, helen mirren and um this other really great actor and he's from i think from india and they had to flee and then um he they sought like shelter i think in in the uk and then they wanted to come over to france because he wanted to open a restaurant and like the the border person asks him the the officer why they want to come to france from from the uk you know what's wrong with the uk and then he was like you know your your food here your fruits your vegetables they don't have any life they don't have any taste i can't cook with them and that was his reason for wanting to go to france and i think you know probably cooks they just value that i mean their food obviously tastes better if they get it from you than if they get it you know from the grocery store so i think that's really great to kind of establish a business like that in a way that is good you know for the earth and supplies just you know a lot better tasting food than all the other stuff you can get yeah definitely it's funny that you say about france because in a book that i was reading the i think it's jm fortier's market gardener he goes to france um and like the french i think one of the earliest people to start like market gardening with like a bio-intensive sort of like bio-intensive techniques so growing a lot of like a lot of food in a small in a small area um, and obviously it being in Paris it's it's ripe and it's and it's there um, it's it's available when it's ripe and um, yeah it's it's crazy to be fair because well I never think thought it was they were in Paris like they're going to be some of the best gardens in the world like yeah my my sister recently uh was in paris and she said that for her what was really like so different um to see was that they had like all these fruit and vegetable stands and small little stores that had like only you know food from france but everywhere in the city of paris and i think for a lot of cities that's really uncommon and i think that's pretty you know, pretty great to see to just bring, you know, this fresh produce also into the city. Um, because especially there, I mean, a city itself can feed itself. It always has to need, come from somewhere outside. You know, if you live on the countryside, you can yeah. have food from your own town. But if you're in a the city, there's, I mean, nowadays you could, you could as well. There's some pretty well established, um, you know, food gardens or you know rooftop uh growers they're really great things and i think yeah i mean even if you live in a city today you could probably just search the internet and find you know some local city food that you could eat so they're they're pretty good possibilities out there already i've seen i worked at a um well i only volunteered for one day in london um and there was a it's like a hydroponic company and they go around different people's offices and install hydroponic systems and it was cool i only worked there one day because i didn't know that i was moving to cornwall it was really like really quickly and 
<clears throat> I went to volunteer at this hydroponic place um, thinking that I was going to be in London and I'd be able to carry on the job. But yeah, we were in like the Vodafone headquarters and they've got like all of their basil and everything on the wall. And like once a week, they'd go around and harvest it. So we harvested a load for them and you, it just fills the office up with the smell of like fresh basil. And everyone that's walking past is like, oh, what's that? What's that? <laughs> that's really yeah. cool I've never heard of that do you have any tips for people with like a really say really small backyard um that is maybe you know if you live just in a little townhouse or something like that and you have a small patch of grass in your backyard um how and but and, and people if they still want to you know grow some food of their own what would your tips be to just start this off, how would how would you do that if you only had like a small patch of grass? What would you grow? Let's say if you were, I mean, obviously it would depend which climate you're in, but if you lived somewhere, let's say in the outskirts of London. So our first thing would be to grow vertically. So you can train like a butternut squash or courgettes or anything. You can plant them and trellis them upwards. So usually they would take up like six feet or so six feet ten feet on the floor but if you train them to grow, to grow upwards um they grow quite happily upwards um you're saving that six feet like horizontally i mean you're getting the same crop um and then there's a technique called a square foot square foot gardens which is basically dividing it each section into one square foot there would be like six onions one chili plant one tomato plant like you can have a certain amount of plants in each square foot depending on what the plant is um that's how i started my garden a couple of years ago which when we first went into lockdown and i, I wasn't working and i spent that time basically building i, I we took the old garden apart and i built some uh some like raised beds and that, I've done that, like, that square mile, square mile, square foot garden technique. And that worked really well, just knowing how, how, how many of what plants to put somewhere. And to, it's just a good way to get like a, a, a base idea. And then you get, a, once they start growing, you get an understanding of how, how much space they need. Um, you could also grow like microgreens. Mic microgreens is an easy like easy thing to do on your windowsill um or if you have space you can build a hydroponic kit which is where you can grow all year round on the wall of your house <laughs> so that's pretty good especially for like um salads and herbs in the time that you have been growing food yourself do you you know see any changes like through climate change like changing pre precipitation or do some crops grow less well or others better because you know maybe changes in seasons or things like that have you have you kind of seen anything um that has been affected by climate change um through i guess the last few years we had summer from like late february i think it was it was like i remember planting planting out tomato plants crazy early like and it was sunny and everyone was off of work because of covid 
and it was sunny for at least three months. It was like summer for three, three and a half months. And last year wasn't like that at all. Like it was, it's, it, I think it's more just the fluctuations. Friends that have got farms and grow were, were like their plants got damaged by like freak, freak frost, like random frost and, and the dampness like in the air because it was raining so much. I didn't actually grow last year because well, I was growing inside because I was living in London. Um, but when I was in Cambodia, um, I was in town and what well, it's like 40 degrees, like it's hot, 40, 45, I don't know. It's hot day and randomly it starts hailing, like there's a hailstorm, like the size of golf balls. And That's I was crazy. like, what is going on? Like it shouldn't be hailing here. And all of the locals come out the front of their shops with their coolers and just put their coolers out and collect all the free ice. <laughs> That's <laughs> so crazy. Like, that never happened. Now that you've, I guess after a while, you get pretty, you know, um, your taste changes and like your um, kind of your relationship to food changes if you start growing it yourself. So how do you feel now about grocery store food you know now that you've grown your own for so long and is there something you know how much how much do you still buy from the grocery store so at the moment it's because the farm's like still on its way up like it's still being built um we are we're actually buying quite a lot from grocery store unfortunately goal is to grow at least 50 percent of what we we eat here like what we the fresh vegetables the only thing that we'd buy from the grocery store would be like tinned stuff i think like beans lentils um or like bags bags of lentils um and dried stuff like pastas and stuff like that but hopefully all fresh stuff will be grown here um and with the amount of tomato plants that i potted on yesterday i think we're gonna have enough tomatoes to make Chutneys and chopped tomatoes and stuff. I want to get some cans or jars and actually like preserve them and then use them for next year or make like chutneys and jams and sell them at the farmer's market. There's going to be if you want to grow food out in the open and don't have like a really crazy greenhouse. There's such still such a wide variety of things you can grow. Like I think people sometimes don't even realize. They think probably, oh, like, What's left is going to be, I don't know, potatoes, apples, and, uh, you know, cucumbers. But, I mean, there's so many different things you can grow. And I think yeah. aiming for 50% is is pretty good. Um, so, you know, how, how do you feel about grocery store food now? Do you sometimes even, um, you know, buy things in the produce section that you have, you know, maybe grown yourself the last year and then like compare yeah. what you're Very eating and think oh my gosh <laughs> yeah yeah definitely like it there's a few farmers markets and i've been going to a few but because it's so early on like again there there's not um that much available but yeah like the tomatoes peppers courgettes and stuff that you buy in like in the supermarket is not is not up to scratch like it just doesn't it doesn't yeah it doesn't feel and that's why we all think the whole family's looking forward to 
getting everything in the ground and start eating the fresh stuff again because it was nice. Like I'd never eat courgette from like courgette from the supermarket raw because it doesn't taste of anything. But last well, a couple of years ago, I had so many courgettes. I was just you can make like a courgette salad um, with the raw courgette and it tastes good because there's flavor in it. But the stuff that you get from here, like watery and yeah. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, you know, if you've had a taste of, you know, something else, you can't untaste that. You're probably going to be like, oh, this, you know, what I'm buying here at the grocery store doesn't taste like much if you've gotten a taste of something else. But um, I mean, so obviously growing your own food also makes you very independent. And especially, you know, right now, um, with different crises going on um, that makes you think, um, I think for many people about starting to grow your own food because it is something that gives you much more security. Um, so especially because especially right now, like for example, in Germany, um, all the flour is wiped out of the shelves and in the local grocery store here, They haven't like filled it up, I think, in at least a week. And um, I think then maybe people are like, okay, maybe the flour is gone, but everything else is still here. You know, maybe that's not ideal. Oh, and sunflower oil, people are stocking up a lot of vegetable oil. That's always gone as well at the moment. Um, the, the price of diesel is so high. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's um, God. I can't even hear these stories when people start mixing their own concoction, something, and and, <laughs> and like pouring it into their tanks. I'm like, please don't do your research before you do something like, like that. Especially like canola oil. I think a few years ago there was also something like that that people started mixing their own uh, fuel, which is like, don't. <laughs> um, Anyway, um, like, how does that, does it make you feel a lot more secure? Do you think like, yeah, wow, I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be, you know, a lot more independent than probably a lot of other people that live in a city or something um, because you have access to your own, you know, food. Is that a consideration for you to say, okay, maybe I'm also going to grow certain stuff that is really important um, for us, you know, to be able to sustain how we can nourish ourselves independently. Yeah, definitely. Like that's the thing with what I kind of, what I'm aiming for is to obviously supply the local families and businesses with food, but there's definitely going to be things that I'm growing for us to eat on the farm that I'm not selling at the markets. Like um, um, there'll be, I'll probably be growing like a load of garlic and like, garlic and onions and stuff like that and definitely be like uh drying them out and saving them and yeah storing them for like our use um yeah but yeah there'll be certain things that that isn't just isn't profitable so it would be profit profitable for us to live off of it because we don't have to buy it but like what some people like i'm going to be i'm basically focusing on salads like salad mix and and baking um baking and making um other other vegetables that people like but i've seen around here that no one is really growing salad like the and 
this time of year with the polytunnel, you should be able to you should be able to have like a good crop of salad salad mixes. So um, that's one thing that I'm going to focus on, so I can have a year round sort of harvest, and then then basically experiment with. I've got loads of other stuff that I'm growing, but I'm testing out a bit of everything now. So next year, I know what grows well, and I can focus on certain things. Yeah, and I think like it's so crazy. Also, if it's you know, it's not just um, availability, but also for many people right now, the fluctuations in prices um, that are really you know, if you don't have your own you know garden set up with food available to grow, and then maybe to supplement with that and and being able to buy less from the grocery store, then you have no choice, you know, then you have to kind of buy whatever they give you for the price that it's marked because like, I think tomatoes right now, they became, I think one euro more expensive in a matter of like four weeks or something. And for some people, you know, that makes a really, really big difference. And you can obviously see it at checkout that, prices are changing and you know brand as well like people are stocking up so much on any flower that is still available um and you know it's it's not just that i think people have to realize that okay maybe the flower might be there in that grocery store and people think okay well the rest of the store is still stocked but it could be you know anything i think people don't even realize how much we import from other countries and if they say you know no we're keeping the food to ourselves there are, you know so many crises coming up we have to feed our own people or we want to change stuff then it's like you know over half of the grocery store and probably even much more three quarters i mean maybe one eighth would be left in the grocery store if we didn't import anything from other countries so i think being independent um gives you a lot of security 100 percent. yeah and like like you're saying with the flour if the flour is going to be more expensive then the bread's going to be have to go up and then like it all has a knock-on effect doesn't it so yeah. if one thing gets the price rises then everything else has to rise with it yeah so um last question what are what are for you like the ups and downs um in the life of like a food grower because obviously there are really a lot of great aspects to it but you know what are some of the positives what are some of the negatives i think obviously losing crops would be i I haven't grown on a huge scale yet but i could see like losing like even when I lost a couple of like cabbages and stuff when I was growing in my garden, like I could see how easily how easily it could be like to lose a whole whole crop or something. And if that's gonna be your living, like that that could be like yeah, that that's quite a vital thing. So you obviously have to put the measures in place before it happens. The sun, actually, like the now now the sun is out for longer the days are longer and we can get out and work more um we seem to be getting a lot more done um and i like to wake up (laughs) like i wake up with the sun and when the sun's up i feel good but when it's in the winter and it's great you get up to do things outside and it's just like yeah i don't want to be outside (laughs) yeah (laughs) i can imagine um and like for you personally like what it feels like to, you know, be on a farm and growing food and maybe 
sometimes even working alone I mean you said you had volunteers but like just for your personal life because I think people sometimes you know you hear a lot of stories especially people who run commercial farming operations there's a really high level of um, people being you know having a lot of mental issues maybe anxiety because it's you know also such uh, in commercial operations at least a really unstable income there's a lot of pressure it's a lot of work to be done it's a lot of things to handle um so and it's something you can't really leave alone you know your farm <laughs> all your food is there you're growing stuff you can't just up and away and be like oh i'll see if everything is fine here in a few weeks yeah. and if stuff is yeah, just continue to grow so <laughs> what's your like for your personal life what are some maybe ups and downs if you want to share some um yeah so actually moving to Cornwall I I've kind of cut off everyone like when I when I moved from Reading well I was living in London but um oh a friend of mine was actually murdered um and that was kind of like a, a turning point and I was like I gotta get out of here like I've had a few friends die um in the last three four years um and yeah it was just a kind of like all right that's it that's enough um I'm out so I've basically moved here kind of cut everyone else off from from like my old life I guess um and living on the farm in quite an isolated place like you you don't get people just kind of walking past <laughs> and saying yeah. hello um yeah and well there's a lot of time at home but as soon as I get my um get my driving license and stuff it will be I think it will be much better because I can I can like explore a bit more um but yeah it's been it's it's been good but it's been tough at times as well for sure sorry to hear um about your friends and um that's obviously really tough to go through but have you had you know other people that you maybe then you know told them you're kind of changing your life and you're moving away has there been like any judgment or were some people supportive like what do people when you tell people you know about your life or what you're trying to do now what are some of the responses um no they are like some people that I I've got a few friends that I still kind of chat to here and there and they obviously they yeah they love what I'm doing and they were going to come down and visit at some point but Yeah, I think it's just such a kind of bold move. It's just like really random. I didn't tell anyone really before we did it because we didn't even know if we were going to be moving here. Like it was, I didn't want to say anything before it was all completed and all confirmed that we were moving here. And then it was, yeah, it was quite sudden. And I was just like, all right, I'm going. <laughs> and I went to like, I went to a, one of my la like last parties because me and my friends used to throw like techno parties <laughs> in in Reading, um, and I went to like one of the last parties, and I was like, "This is my leaving party. Like, I'm off tomorrow," and that was it. Really, I haven't really been back. Like, and yeah, it, and it's and it's like three and a half hours away. It's it's not very. Um, It's not like I can just nip back and see everyone. But when eventually, when I've got enough time, and the the market garden's up and running and everything, I want to have open days um, and show like well people of any age, but especially kids, like how to 
grow their own food and send them home with some plants, like some, like a couple of the volunteers that we had. Um, I gave them some tomato plants, and I get like I get updates from them every week or so, like showing me how much they've grown, and it's good for you being being this place where people can, you know, come in touch with food growing and. Um, you know, then trying it for themselves, I think it really leaves a mark, and especially at a younger age, I think that's really important because it can make such an impression. Um, so yeah, I think that's really incredible. And for all you know, your friends out there, I think they should be really lucky in seeking you out because in these times, having connections to somebody who grows food and lives in the countryside is is you know a pretty good thing to have. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for you know, telling your story and answering all of um, my questions. You know, I wish you the best of luck. What you're doing is a pretty big endeavor and it takes a lot of hard work and it's obviously something that you're doing. I mean, then if you have your parents to, you know, support you or, or work with you, that's obviously really great. But most of it, having those ideas and then actually putting those plans into action, it, it can take a lot. So, you know, I wish you all the best with that. Thank you. I think I'm going to need it.